sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email, and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. I am joined in studio today by Chris Motes. Chris, how are you? Doing well. Chris, um, we're going to be talking today as much as we can. So we're recording this on Wednesday, November 4th, the Feast of St. Charles Borromeo. Um, but I think probably more uh, for, in the forefront of most Americans' minds, not so much Charles Borromeo, um, but the uh, the the aftermath of the election, which still isn't decided as we're recording, at least. Hopefully by the time our listeners hear it, the presidential race will be decided. But the presidential race, there are several U.S. Senate races, but then, of course, more locally for us in the upper Midwest and particularly in South Dakota, um, there are a number of races that are all decided. Yeah, it's like the, the American – like we're, we're making an octave out of Election Day now and taking a full right. like eight days to right. count the votes. Yep. So we're, yep. in, we're in day two of the octave. Day two of the octave. <laughs> I did see a tweet last night. Uh, why don't we just call it Election Week instead of Election Day? Oh. I was reflecting on that. I said to my, I said to my wife uh, – I don't know if it was yesterday. Maybe it was the day before um, – I, I I told her, I just, I wish we could have the 80s and 90s back. And she's like, you mean because of the ignorance? <laughs> like my ignorance probably, I think is what you meant. I said, no, when we had clear election victories. Yeah. This is 20 years now. 20 yeah. years ago was the the infamous, uh, well, it's not really infamous anymore because it's kind of the norm. But the Florida, or 2000 Bush Gore, and, and we're talking about hanging, I don't know if you remember you. Hanging Chads. Hanging Chads. Nobody has named uh, an infant son Chad, Chad since. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so in uh, 2004, um, Bush Kerry, again, it was a day before there was clarity. Um, I guess certainly uh, President Obama's two, two elections uh, were, were clearer. Um, I guess 2016 it was clear, but surprising. Yes. This year's not clear. No, we don't know. We don't know. So, but we're still going to what we're going to. So, how, okay, because we put this on our calendar like two months ago. Chris, right. let's talk about the election on ignition the day after. Well, we're still going to. And then this is not a part, this is not a politics yeah. uh, podcast. That's your show. Right. Um, where you talk about politics for its own sake or not. Uh, here at Ignition, send your faith ablaze. I want to look at maybe some takeaways from your perspective, mine, we'll talk about together. Takeaways from this election, and in, 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 in the sense particularly why Catholics should care, or what Catholics in terms of our faith should be taking away from the election. Does that make sense? It does. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit. And then I also want to make sure we're going to be talking about um, something that came up this last weekend. You know, our, our, the bishop of the Diocese of Sioux Falls, our bishop, Bishop Donald DeGrood, released a couple of videos um, about a number of topics, but both but both videos uh, touched on um, forming your conscience and voting with Catholic moral principles in mind. And he got some pushback um, uh, on that. And one thing that I saw a lot about was separation of church and state. So you're a lawyer, you know the law, um, we're Americans. I'd like to think we're both informed Americans. We know the Constitution. I also want to talk a little bit about what separation of church and state does and doesn't mean, but even more importantly, 
because that's sort of an American legal um, reality. I want to talk about the Catholic reality uh, of, of, of the intersection between faith and politics. Let's do it. Well, all right. So let's start, though, with some takeaways from the election. Even though all of the races, particularly the presidential one, is not yet decided, I think there are still some takeaways that we can talk about. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, results still pending, and there's a lot, lot we could talk about with, you know, counting votes and even looking at, like, the way different sort of partisan brands are emerging. We, there were some big surprises with, oh, my goodness, you know, this block of voters kind of shifted and what's going on here yep. with with, you know, red, blue stuff. But for us specifically as Catholics, as I was kind of just reflecting, like, well, what is, you know, what is there for us in this specifically? Not first and foremost as like a block of voters, if such a thing exists, but first and foremost for us as like disciples living in the world. And one of the first things that came to mind for me is it seems we're living through a time of transition. We're going through sort of an an age or an era, if you will, of of sort of, and, and this is something Bishop DeGroote has talked about many times, and he's not the first one, John Paul, Fulton Sheen, but this transition from sort of a Christendom culture to uh, an apostolic era. So we're going through this sort of big transition. What does it mean for us as Catholics? One of the things that can I actually before, yeah. just in case people haven't heard before, when I explain, just briefly unpack that. So Christendom to apostolic age, Christendom, the idea that Christianity is the dominant cultural force right. in, in a society, and in this case, in a nation. That was certainly true for many years. Of course, our, our country was not has never been explicitly Catholic, but in many ways there was at least a Protestant Christian ethos, um, and, and the Catholic Church has had an impact in a number of ways. Um it's actually compared touches on the church state separation we'll get to later. This is not about um, whether or not a church has been um, uh, in a position of governance, if you right. will. It's about its influence in society. So Christendom, Christianity is dominant. Apostolic age, it, post-Christendom, um, Christianity is an influence or influencer, but not the dominant one. Right. So we're going through this big time of transition. <clears throat> And one of the things that, that we're seeing uh, is, is violence. There's always been violence in the world, um, so I'm not positing it like it's something new. But insofar as it's part of this political moment, it's, it's important for us as Catholics to actually just say, no, whatever strife we happen to be going through, uh, so be it. Let's reason our way through it. Let's ask for the Lord's divine assistance as we go through it. But we reject violence right. as we're going through it, and that you know that um, many people saw the news this summer with with violent riots in various parts of the country, looting, burning, vandalism, um, and it it's not just and these were sort of you know characterized as from the political left, a lot of lot of truth in that, but we'd be wrong to say it's exclusively there. You know, there's this plot to this right wing plot to kidnap the governor of of Michigan. Uh, Michigan. Thank you. Uh, it's kind of all over, right. and, it, and it's because we're human beings, and we're sort of subject to these these passions in our heart that inflame us. And one of the one of the dangerous things is there are like um, arguments being made in defense of some of these acts of violence, like as if it's justified sure. for some reason. And within the Catholic moral tradition, we have very very tight strictures on justified use of of violence, and uh, for the most part, it is. Um, almost exclusively restricted to 
uh, the state in sort of just war theory and so on and so forth. But the big, big takeaway is for us as Catholics to just be clear as we're sort of going through this tumultuous moment that includes some violence in various parts of our country is that as followers of Christ, we stand for peace. You're right. And that, that doesn't mean that we, um, that we don't engage in, in intellectual battle, you know, uh, um, a reasoned engagement in argumentation. But it is to say that, no, we reject violence. Yeah, and I would say, so, so definitely, um, uh, clearly a rejection of physical violence that way. I, no Catholic should ever be, and, and I want to be clear here too, that's, that's as distinct from nonviolent civil protest. Correct. Right. There could be circumstances. There are circumstances. I mean, think of um, some abortion protests where that might happen, but that's never, ought not ever be violent. Well, and that's a, you know, choosing to use violence is a different question than choosing to disobey the law right. for, a, for a just reason. Right. And we see the witness of that in, in our own, uh, the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, um, you know, his, his letter from Birmingham jail, he is relying upon Augustine in his articulation of when it's okay. And Aquinas. Yeah, to not follow a yep. particular law because that law is unjust. Yep. That, but he was also very, very clear this is a nonviolent political movement. Right. This right. is nonviolent moral movement. Um, so th- those are two different things, choosing to disobey the law and— So there's that. But I yeah. also think in terms of—even in the intellectual uh, strife yeah. argument, there's a way in which you can— and I want to be careful here because I think sometimes the idea of violence is stretched too far. But there's a reality that we can um, verbally— "Quote unquote assault other people." Yeah. So when when I'm arguing, am I doing so out of a position, a posture of charity, right, or not? And we always so charity has to be has to be even even when you and I because you it doesn't happen too often, but sometimes you and I find something we actually disagree on, um, and we get passionate. Well, at least I get passionate, I get loud, and so on. But it, it, hopefully, I think this has been the true so far, at least. My my uh, attitude towards you has always been one of respect and charity, even when we're maybe strongly disagreeing about something. Yeah, and I think this is something that actually you referenced earlier, Bishop DeGroote's uh, homily of November 1st. And one of the things that that he identifies is he specifically mentions the first presidential debate and just sort of – yeah. we all recognize yeah. that that debate was not marked by charity. No. Um, and it's – I don't bring this up to like um, attribute greater guilt to any particular person, but point being is that yes um, – uh, there's even a point at which our words can go too far in the way in which we're actually, we need to kind of take a step back. And this is like actually maybe a good segue into one of my my next point, which is this point about reason. And one of the tasks, I think, for Catholics in this moment in our country is t- is to give a witness to reason. That's not to say that our arguments are always going to win, when they're founded on reason. You and I have talked many times about um, some of the, the brilliant people that were making reasoned arguments, really just watertight arguments for the nature of marriage, right. you know, when our country was going through that debate. And they, they ultimately lost. But it, that may happen continuing into the future. We, we may still lose when we're making arguments based on reason. But the point is that, I, and this is a lesson I learned up at the Capitol, that we actually have to demonstrate to our brothers and sisters in this country how to do it. Yep. So many people that wasn't part of their education, mm. it, it it's just not part of their formation. So to actually give a model of 
this is what reason looks like. In the example that jumps out at me, being up in the state capitol, was testifying on a, it was kind of a sensitive bill because it it touched on gender ideology. And there's a lot of emotions in this topic when we talk about self-identifying transgender people, children. And um, I provided testimony on a bill and and, uh, a representative came up to me in the hall afterwards and said, Chris, you know, thank you so much. You, you didn't use fear or emotion. You were so reasonable. Mm. And this fellow, he actually, he voted against me um, and the bill ended up dying. But for me, the lesson was, ah, even though it was a loser, we still have to do it. We have to provide this model of what it looks like. This is, this is one of the things that um, I, I think is e- it's easy for us to neglect this as disciples of Jesus Christ. So as Catholics, you know, we're taking our faith seriously, we're praying, we're going to mass, we're, we're studying our faith, we're studying the Bible, that sort of thing. But um, as you've, I think you've heard in, in, in our world, my world, um, the world of our office, discipleship evangelization at the Diocese of Falls, we talk a lot about the four different areas of formation of what it means to be a missionary disciple, spiritual formation, prayer, intellectual formation, understanding the faith, apostolic formation, the way that I reach out and share my faith, but human formation, those, mm-hmm. the fourth area. And, and, and to me, I actually put this under human formation, my ability to think well, mm-hmm to communicate well, to speak well, and to listen well, um, I, I consider it part of human formation because in order to be um, a mature disciple of Jesus Christ, my humanity has to be well-rounded, for lack of a better word. Right. And a, a significant part of what it means to be human is my capacity to reason and to do it well. That's, that's we have, right. We have to grow it. And that's really, that's a long game. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a long game, but it's, it's, it's worth... Just running that playbook because it's a witness for the rest of our country on like what it looks like, um, and it's they're not necessarily getting that formation in other places, right. be it the family, you know the you know so many broken families, whether school, for example. Um, we we got to keep doing it. Yep. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition, a podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, visiting today with Mr. Chris Motz. By the way, who are you real quick? Because I didn't do this at the beginning. Yeah. Man, I, didn't, I, didn't you, I didn't let you introduce yourself, Chris. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm married to Hannah. We have four lovely children. I'm the director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference to do faith and politics for the bishops of South Dakota. What's your motto? Quarite pacem civitatis. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So, uh, Jeremiah. Um, so it's it's from uh, it means seek the good of the city. The the Jews are in in Babylon. Babylon. They're in exile, and uh, they're they're not very happy about being there. It's super cranky. They're like, uh, <laughs> we're in the the election octave. We're cranky. Right. Yes, we are. <laughs> um, and the Lord the Lord sends word to them through the prophet Jeremiah, and he he kind of says, get cozy. <laughs> You're going to be there for a little while. Um, so just kind of deal with it. Uh, but yeah, he tells him a couple things. You got to build houses, plant gardens, get married, give your children in marriage and seek the good of the city. Seek the good of the city. This Be- foreign city that you've been yeah. taken by force into exile to. And that's, you know, that's, um, we're, we're actually citizens of a foreign city, you know, and that's maybe the next, right? um, one of the next Before topics. We go there, quick question. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that, uh. Jeremiah wrote in Hebrew, not in Latin. So how come uh-huh. your motto is uh, um, Latin instead of Hebrew? Because I'm an old Marine and we like mat- uh, Latin <laughs> mottos, Semper Fidelis. It's it's from uh, Jerome's uh, Latin Vulgate. So yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, knew that. I did, I did. Yeah. All right, so um, 
looking at what we're looking at, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the election. And even though as we're recording the day after the election, a uh, number of the races, particularly the presidential race, has not yet been decided or we don't know what the outcome is. Um we can still talk about some takeaways as Catholics about this election. So, Chris, what do you have next? Okay, so here's, a, I think, a really, really important point, because we this is a, a springboarding from reason. So one of the things that um, Pope Benedict said about reason is when we think that reason is all by itself, it's almost as if like we're in a concrete bunker underground with like flickering fluorescent lights overhead and, <laughs> and breathing recirculated air. He's like, where did all this air and light come from? It's we're not in a concrete bunker. Reason is a gift from God. We are not like self-enclosed, self-sustaining in this little concrete bunker where we Amen. forget of the world outside. He right. says we gotta we gotta throw open the windows once more and breathe deeply of the air that God gave us. One of the words that's been in my own heart uh, lately is from First uh, Corinthians, and I'm gonna I'm gonna gob up the the, the paraphrase, but it's essentially Saint Paul saying to the Corinthians, um, "What I proclaimed to you, I did not do through mm. through." Human philosophy through words of wisdom. Words of wisdom, but um, but made manifest the, the the power and glory of the Spirit. Maybe you can find it. Um, and and I did this so that your faith might not rest on reason, but your right. your faith might rest on the power of God. And so the the next task I would say for us as Catholics in this political moment is to give witness to our abiding confidence in the sovereignty of the, the risen Lord, mm-hmm. the Lord of, the, of heaven and earth. He's the one that gives us peace and certainty. We don't get peace and certainty from a shifting world, you know? And, th- and there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of lack of, lack of peace. There's a lot of fear in the world right now. And it's th- we know there's just a lot of turmoil, whether it's politics or COVID or whatever, like, but when, when we have conviction that God's got this and I might lose my life tomorrow, like, but, but that's actually okay because I've already been born into eternal life. Amen. And, and God is in charge. Like this is actually a, this is not just like some esoteric truth that we're supposed to keep to ourselves as Catholics. This is the life-giving truth for which every human person was made, and our country needs this truth. So actually coming up, it might be this Sunday, if not this Sunday, it's the following Sunday, where he, as we're winding down the, the, the church year, we hear the parable of the talents, and, 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 and there's one, um, uh, one of the servants uh, who the, mas- the, the, the third servant took the talent that the master gave and buried it. And you think, well, well, isn't that being a good steward because you didn't waste? I mean, it's it's not wasted. He's, he's returning the steward. No, because the talent he was given was meant to be shared with others, mm. to be used for the good of the master and for his neighbor. Yeah. We so 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 some commentators will say the talents are like knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom, mm. and you and I are called not to bury that knowledge. And even our hearts and our minds, we're called to share that knowledge with others. Yeah, We need to share, as you said, to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Like that, that's, I really do firmly believe, you know, with all the, oh, who won where and like all the, the nuts and bolts and details of like our political life right now, like that is one of the tasks for us as Christians yeah. is to just like give witness to God's love. Amen. So, Chris, we only have eight, eight minutes left. Any other points before we? I do want to get it to church and uh, separation of church and the state. Let's do it. All right. So, the, th- the first thing that I want to emphasize from sort of the as the theologian, and so theology gets to go for the the the. I guess 
So, some in, in scripture, I guess I would be considered a, a, a scholar of the law, mm. uh, as as you would today in a secular sense. So yes, maybe in a sense, two lawyers. I'm going to talk about uh, though the the theological perspective first. Um, our faith. So, so this is one of my passions and convictions. Our faith is meant. If, if in order for our faith to be authentic and true to itself, it has to pervade every aspect of my life, personal and public. Um, Vatican II, at Vatican II, the bishops of the church, together with the Pope, said that the great drama of our time is the divorce between the faith that we profess and the lives that we live. We separate, we compartmentalize, this is my faith box, and then this is the rest of my life. I've got my work box, my home box, whatever. No. Catholicism, faith in Jesus Christ, if it's true to itself, if, if it's mature, and authentic, it will pervade everything that I do, where I see and I live differently because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, a missionary disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, a lifelong Catholic missionary disciple of Jesus Christ through God's love, as Bishop DeGrude's vision for the Diocese of Falls puts it. Amen? Amen. I do we think that when we're at the end, end of our lives, when we're standing before the Lord— that he's going to look at our lives and judge according to like, oh no, 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 those weren't those particular actions weren't part of your your life. Right. Not, I'm not. No, he's just looking at everything we did. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And so, so I understand why people get maybe some. It's it's not like incomprehensible to me why some people might be concerned when priests or bishops address matters of politics from the pulpit. But I would say it's necessary. Because they're called to proclaim the truth to us, and this is one of the truths that that our faith should impact every aspect of our lives. Yeah, I think that a lot of the confusion is. I mean, I don't, I don't know where it originates from, but it's it's like there's we can properly understand a separation between church and state. Sure, you know that there are these two autonomous spheres, juridically autonomous. Thank you. They're not legally autonomous. Legally autonomous. That you know. Bishop De Groot is not going to be running for governor anytime right. soon. Right. Um, you know, uh, the rector of the cathedral is not going to be running for state senate in District 15 anytime right. soon. Right. Um, neither neither will you know Governor Nome or Senator you know Nesaba from District 15. Neither will they they be uh, mandating people within their civil jurisdiction to go worship at the Catholic Church. They're, they don't. That's not within right. their jurisdiction. Right. They, don't, they don't have the authority to do that. Right. There, there are some. There's a separation between the jurisdictions. But what we can never think is that, oh, because there are these separate spheres of, of authority, in a certain sense, that, um, moral judgment doesn't belong in politics. You know, they, as if like, oh, because we're making some claims about right and wrong or about what is good to pursue for society or not good to pursue for society because we're making those claims within a political party platform that they're somehow like off limits from moral analysis. Right. Um, I don't want to live in a country in which we're sort of trying to, we can't, it's actually impossible to, denude our lawmaking from moral judgments. It, every every law that permits or, pro, or prohibits something is an exercise in moral judgment. Right. 
It's saying you can or you should or you can't do this particular thing. Right. That's saying thou shalt not or thou should do whatever it is. Right. One of the things that um, sometimes I explain to people and I explain the work of the Catholic Conference too is is like, look, it, we're not – the point isn't to – the point isn't to make everybody in the state <coughs> of South Dakota abstain from eating meat on Friday. Right. You know, there are some particularly religious disciplines that we acknowledge. There, this is a discipline of our religion, uh, of our faith, that that has uh, been promulgated by the uh, proper, competent ecclesial authority within our church, and it it's not binding on on all human persons. But there are some things that are just part of the the patrimony of um, uh, of the the moral heritage of humanity. That, that we can say are for everybody. You know, the, the church in the last 50 years, try it, you know, let me know if you find a bigger defender of the dignity of every single human life. Right. You yeah. know, beginning from the very moment of conception. Um, you know, I don't want to, not to have pride in that statement, but it's, it's just true. Like, do we want to keep that out of our politics? I don't. I mean, that's right. not that's not an attractive right. country to live in. I, I think so. The history to remember. So, separation of church and state. Um, most of the founding fathers, many of the original um, uh, immigrants, if you will, from Europe came where they came from England. Right. Wherein, since at least the 1520s, the head of the state is the head of the church. Right. Going back to Henry VIII, he was the head of the the English the, the Church of England. So that's what the founders had in mind when they were talking about right. separation of church and state. Not they they definitely did not mean separation of of uh, politics from religion or morality. To the contrary, many of the founding fathers gave impassioned pleas that that religion and moral education would continue for the well being of the republic. Well, and at that time too that. There, you know, different uh, within England at that time. If you didn't show up to church on Sunday, you could be subject to a tax. There, there, there could be civil penalties associated right. with your um, the degree of your your piety. Right. Um, and so, coming out of that experience, of course, they didn't want. You know, they they realized that there were there were some different uh, Catholics and Puritans and different different uh, perspectives. And it's like, okay, well, that's not the realm of the state, but. You're very, very right to point out that the the from the founders on, there was a realization that the particular form of government we have depends upon a moral and virtuous people. Right. You know, that's even in our South Dakota state constitution. That's the reason that there's a right to a free public education in our state constitution, because they recognize that the the this Republican form of government depends upon the morality and intelligence of the people. Morality is, is part and parcel with that. Right, so. right. So, so I think... Chris, we've just got about 30 seconds left. Actually, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Final takeaways for today, living as we are in the octave of the election. Mm, well, we, you know, we got to keep our wits about us uh, in these in these days ahead. And that means that we've we've got to keep praying and, and we can't give up, you know, win, lose, or if you don't, if you're not happy because your guy didn't win, that doesn't mean you give up on, on the political sphere. We got to, we got to keep at it. Great. Chris, uh, thanks for being with us, Ignatian, today. Folks, um, just in light of that encouragement for you, use your reason. As Chris just said, keep your wits about you. 
above all, trust in God and his providence and that he is Lord, not just of my life, but of everything. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.